Bibles, if you stand with me, Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Colossians 3, verse 8 and 9. Is God good? Amen. The Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 8, But now you also put off all of the all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man. With his deeds. Let's pray. Father, we love you today and we praise you. And Lord, we are so thankful that we heard you call our name. Father, today we need to hear from you. Lord, I pray you will challenge our hearts. Send conviction where it's needed. But most of all, draw us nearer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. Being a child of God, being born again, is the most exciting thing that ever happened in my life. Hands down. There's nothing like being a child of God. And there are so many things that are true in our new relationship with Christ. Things that the Bible says are true. And let me remind you how important it is to know what you know. Know what the Bible says about our walk with God. Our God is an amazing God. Our God, we started this morning in Sunday school, created all things, and then He loves us. He loves us. And the day that you got saved, so many wonderful truths happened in your life. And as we discover those truths that happened the day we were saved, speaking about our new life in Christ, it will help build, if you will, a firmer foundation for our faith. So what are some of the things things that happened the day you got saved? Number one... Jesus forgave you of all your sin. Not part of them, but each and every sin you ever committed. Colossians chapter 1, look at verses 13 and 14. Speaking about Christ, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. In whom, his dear son, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now remember, how you feel is not important. What we know from God's word is. And the Bible reminds us 
that when we trusted Jesus Christ for our sin, for forgiveness, Jesus forgave all of our sins, past, present, and future. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, don't miss what the Bible says there in verse 13. First of all, we've been delivered from the power of darkness. Delivered from the power of darkness. And then the Bible says we've been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. What does that mean? It means that one time we were living in this sphere over here. God's forgiven our sins and now He translated us. And now we no longer live there, but we live here in the kingdom of God. How many are glad for that? That's what we know to be true, not based on how I feel, but what the Word of God says. Now, if you're like me, when you got saved, you somebody told you about confessing your sins, uh, believing on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that's all important. But understand, as we grow in our faith, we've got to build on that foundation, and we build on the foundation not just saying with our mouth and believing in our heart initially, but we begin to live as we realize, you know what? The Bible says clearly, the day I got saved, Jesus forgave me my sins. And I want to tell you, folks, Satan's a liar, and he will try to convince you otherwise. So, number one, Christ forgave your sins. Second of all, The day you were saved on this new life in Christ, He made you a child of God. We are children of God. John 1, 12. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. So the Bible tells me that the moment I received Jesus Christ, I entered into a loving relationship with God, and now I'm one of His children. Thank God. That's what the Bible says. And anyone who welcomes Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are now born again, they're reborn spiritually, and we are receiving new life from God. Thank you, Lord, for the new life. Thank you, Lord. So when we place our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. And we are now changed people. He rearranges our attitudes. He rearranges our desires. He rearranges our motives. God is working within us through the Spirit of God. I know that to be true from the Word of God. My sins are gone. I'm now a child of God, and we know that being born physically um, makes us alive physically and part of our parents' family, but being born of God makes us spiritually alive, and now we're a part of the family of God. And I want to tell you, folks, it's the greatest family there ever was. It's the eternal family of God. So we're spiritually alive, and now we're a part of the family. God. So the key is this. Have we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? So there's no way He can make us new again unless we receive Him. So I've got my sins gone, forgiven. I'm a child of God. The third thing is Jesus came into my life and He will never leave me 
and he'll never, ever forsake me. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm very glad for that. Amen. Where everything else fails, God will not. Where everyone else fails, God will not. Because God said, I will never fail you. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. God loves us that much. And whenever our faith reminds us that God is in control, we remember then, and hear me well, folks, we have all we need in God. We have all we need. My sins are gone. I'm a child of God. He'll never leave me. The full thing that happened, Christ began a brand new life inside of me. He began a brand new life. 1 John 5, look at verse 11 and 13. And this is the testimony. Let that sink in. This is the truth. This is what you need to know. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He does not have, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, there's our word, know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. When someone says to me, and I've heard it through the years several times, you cannot know for sure you're saved, I beg to differ. John says you can know. You can know. John says eternal life is in the Son. S-O-N. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ. And John said very plainly, if you have Jesus Christ, if you have the Son, the S-O-N, you have life. Because that life is found in Jesus. But, if you do not have Christ, if you do not have the Son of God, you simply don't have life. Now, listen to me very carefully. The divine, eternal life resides in Jesus Christ. It resides in Him. And the great news is, Jesus makes that life available to all and to anyone who will simply trust Him as their Lord and Savior. We have that life. So I want to say, folks, the day we got saved, God has done some amazing things for us. So without a doubt, now remember, the hard work's already done. Jesus paid the price. We have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we get to Ephesians chapter 3, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, and we read about a different kind of life 
than the old way that we used to live. A different kind of life or a new you. And I find it interesting, rather than focusing on self-improvement, uh, using workout routines, healthy eating, uh, financial freedom. Now, I'm not against any of that. But listen to me. Paul says the new life is the fact that God has come in to completely overhaul our old being. God wants to make us new creatures. So the day we were saved, we placed our identity in Christ. We died out to the world, and we're alive to Christ. And now what we're seeing in, the, in this letter to the church of Colossae, it's a call to accept an invitation to live out our identity in Christ, the very one whose blood had made us new. Now remember, it's a declared fact. We were declared righteous the day you were saved. But now the invitation is to live that out on a daily basis. Now remember, Jesus did the hard work. In fact, the Bible says those raised with Christ have put off the old self and put on the new. God has done a work in our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our old ways die, and our new life is hidden with Christ in God. We are to live different. Colossians 3, verse 3. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So what does the Bible teach? <clears throat> what do we mean by this? In reality, the Christian life is a moment-by-moment-by-moment renewal. It's a moment-by-moment renewal. Where we actually choose to leave our old ways behind, and that's important, the ones that were controlled by sin and the old nature and death, we're going to leave those behind. We'll make that choice moment by moment. And we are going to walk with Christ instead. Now, by the way, every morning we get up, the invitation is still there. It's brand new every morning. Put away the old and walk with Jesus Christ. So I think my challenge this morning is this. Instead of giving in to the calls of our culture, of all their self-improvement schemes, I think the better thing to do is to clothe ourselves in the same love, the same compassion, and the same forgiveness that Jesus Christ has shown us. A moment-by-moment decision. And we must not forget... That our spiritual lives are a lifelong journey. A lifelong journey. And every day, we are invited deeper into the heart of God 
and invited deeper into the abundant life he offers. Our new life in Christ. And my prayer today is this. If your heart has been captured by Jesus, I pray that you would join me in seeking those things above where Christ is. I pray that we seek his kingdom first. And that's the only way, the only way you'll become truly new. A new life in Christ equals a whole new desire. And our desire is to be like Christ. And now that we are saved, declared righteous by the blood of Christ, we are challenged to put to death our old nature. Put to death our old man. How many find that hard to do sometimes? I know I do. But that's the responsibility God has given We've been working our way for the last couple of months through Colossians 3. And the reason is because here in Colossians 3, we find some practical instructions and precepts on how to do what God wants us to do. In verse 5, he gave some things to mortify. That means to make dead. doesn't mean to try to suppress them or control them. It simply means get rid of them. Wipe them And we put them to death uh, by denying these things. And we consider them dead to us. And we should be dead to them. Now, I think it's interesting. Paul lists, and we went through all, we're not going to read them again in verse 5. But he lists about five sins there. And it's important because I think we realize if we can name those sins, if we don't name them, it's easy to drift into them. But once we know what they are, even the name of those sins should become repulsive to us. We want to mortify those sins. But also understand, so we have a new life. And Paul says, but now. And if there's a but now, there had to be a but then. And so... The sins that Paul is listing here, they are the trademark of a world in rebellion against God. That's how sinners live their life. But also understand, the Bible says those sins, and the ones we're going to talk about today, even though they're the mark of the unsafe world for you and I, those sins are past tense. But, yeah. And if you have been born again, we should not live like lost people live. Our lives must be different. And verse 7 reminded us we were like that at one time. But also understand As we walk with Christ, we may still struggle. And occasionally, one of those may pop up in our life 
<clears throat> but my friend, they should not be habitual in our life. If you claim to be a child of God, you cannot be comfortable with habitual sin. You simply cannot be. So beginning in verse 8, the Bible speaks about removing other traces of worldliness. Paul says, but now, you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you have put off the old man and his deeds. We spoke about putting off me to get rid of this robe. Take those old filthy clothes off before you put on the new. We're to do that. But here's the thing, folks. Once we have experienced the new life in Christ, once that happens, we're to live that way. We're to live like we are children of God. Now, notice the sins that were listed there, things like anger and wrath. The problem is, and hear me well, a lot of us think those are, if there's such a word, I mean a term, little sins. Little sins. May I ask you a question? How does God view sin? It's sin doesn't define little sins or big sins. And the sad thing is a lot of Christians look at those things. Well, those are, are, are little sins and, and uh, they're not too dangerous. How many know Satan wants you to believe that? Sure he does. He wants you to believe that you're right. But the Bible says we're to put off the old man in every area of, these, of our life, included These sins that some call little sins, Paul said, put them off. We talked about anger in verse 8. Paul said, put off uh, anger. We talked about that uh, last week and the week before. He also talks about wrath in verse 8. Put off all of these wrath. What is wrath? Proverbs 29.11 says, a fool vents all his feelings. But a wise man does what? He holds them back. So wrath is an outburst of anger. It's a quick temper. And usually for selfish reasons. And normally it's a continual, uncontrolled behavior. Have you ever thought or even said... I'm going to give so-and-so a piece of my mind. Come on, I have. But the Bible says if you vent all your feelings, you're what? You're a fool. You are a fool. Because wrath is really a strong, vengeful hatred or resentment. And it's interesting, the Bible warns us about wrath. And the warning is there because the consequences of getting vengeance will destroy relationships. It will destroy relationships. 
And the danger comes whenever we allow ourselves to be consumed by rage, to be consumed by revenge, uh, to the point we, we act irrationally and we act immorally. And my friend, that is always dangerous. And that's why wrath is so wicked. And I realize that we are flawed creatures. And I realize that we don't live in a perfect world. And so there will be times, and you can mark it down, we will suffer mistreatment at the hands of someone else. And our natural response is to be angry. But understand, we have to be careful. Because we cannot and we must not allow our emotions to control us. Did you hear what I said? Well, preacher, I just couldn't help myself. Maybe you couldn't, but God could help you. We can't let our emotions take us into slavery. So what we have to do when those things happen is respond in a rational manner the way God's Word says we need to do that. I mentioned my brother-in-law, I forget when it was, one day last week. We had a great time together. He passed the church in Bowling Green. And I found out that it doesn't matter how good the church is going, and they're going well, every church has problems from time to time. And I reminded him, hey, we're to respond with a tender heart. Be kind. And we are. But you know what makes it difficult to do that? People. Isn't that true? Come on. And I'm part of the problem. I realize that. But yet, we're not, we can't become slaves to our emotions. Respond the way God wants us to respond. And here we have to remember. Listen, folks. God sees everything. And God will judge everyone. And he will serve justice on those who deserve it. Romans 12, 19. Dearly, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So the key to wrath is let God take care of it. Let God take care of it. Ezekiel 25, 17. I will execute great vengeance on them and with wrathful, wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. Do you ever come across a verse you don't like? You wish wasn't there? It's not part of our text this morning, but it just came to my mind. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Pray for those who despitefully use you. Is he kidding me? I want to get even. I want to get vengeance. But the Bible says, pray for that person. Put it in the hands of God. Let God deal with that. Notice the next one on Paul's list in verse 8 of Colossians 3. But now, he also put off all these malice. 
Hmm. I need to ask a question here. Does anybody know what group of people Paul is writing to? Christians. Christians. Now I must admit, when I got saved, and I'm still a little bit naive, but I was very naive, and I thought, man, when a person gets saved, I mean, they, they get, they don't, they don't abuse people, they don't get mad, they, they don't experience wrath and maliciousness. That's not true. Now remember, I know that initially this letter was written to the church of Colossae, but it's for us. God preserved this word for us. This is God speaking to us, Christians. And he says, put off malice. Now when I think about maliciousness, my friend, to me it's a word that sounds as bad as it really is. It's an awful thing. And no matter how we try to decorate it, no matter how we try to sugarcoat a spiteful act, it will never, never reach a redeeming purpose. That's the idea here. Growing up, I spent a lot of summers with my grandparents. Their youngest son was a year older than I am. And my grandfather, I don't know why he would ever do this, except that he needed a little extra money, spending money, whatever it was. And there was a fellow who owned a lot of farmland in the area, and it had some trees on it. And he wanted those trees taken out. And uh, my grandfather and his one of his older sons were going to cut them down. And uh, they would grub that tree stump out. Anybody ever grub the tree stump out? I mean, it was a hard job. You dug around that thing with, with picks and shovels and spades, and but you were looking for the taproot. Because once, and that taproot went down, I mean deep. And once you found and uncovered that taproot, if you cut it in two or cut it somewhere, you could pull that stump out fairly easy. Not by hand, but probably with a small tract or whatever. But until you got rid of that taproot and those bigger trees, there was no way you were going to pull them out. And so no matter how much we try to sugarcoat a spiteful act, being malicious, the root is, the taproot is stuck so deep, it'll never have a redeeming purpose in our life. We cannot allow it to go on. Now, it's interesting. The Bible relegates malice to the realms of the unsaved. And the Bible says malice should never find its expression in the Christian life. It simply shouldn't be Malice is the idea of the extreme enmity of heart. Malice comes with a disposition to injure someone else without cause, or just for personal gratification, or even for the spirit of revenge. The word malice comes from a Latin word that literally means evil. There's nothing good about malice. A lot of English words use the same Latin word as a prefix. 
malediction, malefactor, malfeasious, malign, malignant, malnutrition, malpractice. No wonder malicious has such bad connotations. There's nothing good about it. And the particular word translated from the Greek in the New Testament, it means a character of badness. And my friend, that should not be named among God's people. It means a character of of evil, if you will. A character of being vicious. And it shouldn't be named among God's people. The Greek word signifies that it has an evil root. And that root goes deep. It can even destroy. That's how bad it is. And by the way, hear me well, because of the evilness of malice, of maliciousness, because it has no redeeming qualities, maliciousness is a sign of a heart that's not repented. It's not to be named among God's We started this morning that God created a perfect world. And in that world, He created a perfect man and a perfect woman. They had a special relationship with God. Sin comes along. And now, man's spiritual condition began to decline. And because of that decline of our spiritual condition, because we have rejected God's spiritual and moral truth in our world, maliciousness is inevitable. I'm not going to turn to this morning, but you know the verses in Romans 1. In verses 21 through 32, I'm going to summarize them this morning tells us that God gave unsaved man over to uncleanness. He gave him over to vile passions. And finally, in verse 28, God gave him over to a reprobate mind. In verse 29, he explains what it means, reprobate. And Paul said, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, there's our word, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. Does that describe the world we live in? Absolutely. But for you and I, that was in. But we're in the butt now. We've got a brand new life in Christ. And I want you to realize Natural man's core is corrosive. Hear me well. It's a noxious poison that taints everything and it has to be bridled at every opportunity or it will run rampant over everything that's good, everything that's uplifting, and everything that is beneficial. We've got to come o- overcome that. 
Psalm 1014. But you have seen. For you observe trouble and grief. Notice this. To repay it by your hand. My friend, God sets himself squarely against all malice. God stands Now, by the way, I want you to understand that when you're born again, God begins to work within us. He begins to work within us to help us remove these things from our life. Because God knows we can't do it on our own. And that's why you must be born again if we're to overcome that. And so God works within us to rid us of our malicious, evil character. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 and through 5. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. Who's Paul talking about? All of us. We were disobedient. We were deceived. Serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in, there's no word again, malice and envy. Hateful and hating one another. Verse 4. How many love the word but? Um, my brother in law, I know he's not listening because he's preaching soon. Um, he told me one time, he said, I think I shocked my congregation. He said, I, was going to, I began to preach on the butts of God. He said, I titled my message, where would your butt be without God's butt? I said, well, I don't know if I'd try that in my church or not. But anyway, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. How many are glad it did? Oh, man. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. And renewing of the Holy Ghost. After the kindness and love of God, the word man appeared. God is working on the inside through the Holy Spirit. Help us overcome these sins in our life. And God enlists us. To rid ourselves of malice. And that's why Paul said it's one of the things we're to put off. We're to put it off. And by the way, every one of us, including me, we have a great need to be constantly putting off sin as God reveals it to us. Now hear me well. When God reveals it to you, put it off. In my own life, one of the ways that God reveals my sin to me is when I study God's Word. And when I find that out, I'm to put it off. James one twenty one. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. 
and receive with meekness the implanted word. Notice that, the word of God, which is able to save your souls. So sometimes God reveals sin to us through his written word. Sometimes God reveals our sin through the admonition of someone who loves us. But I think the most clearest of all revelations of my sin is when something triggers me or bothers me and it sparks a malicious response within me and the Holy Spirit begins to chasten me. Chasing my conscience. I cannot tell you how many times that's happened in my life. Times when I wanted to go to someone and give them a piece of my mind. At times I wanted to unload. And I don't take that lightly. And I wouldn't even think about it unless they really had Disobey God's word. But when I go with that attitude, then I'm wrong. And God begins to speak to my heart. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God begins to work within me. And it reminds me that I need to change my attitude in that situation. It doesn't matter what it is. When the Word of God convicts us of our sin or reveals a sin to us, when a brother or sister in Christ comes to us to admonish us and reveal a sin, or when the Spirit of God convicts our heart, we have to put those things off whenever it happens. But my friend, whenever malice is detected, When malice is detected, it's a sure sign I've got deep problems. There's something wrong in my walk with God. Because that depraved nature within me has to be eradicated. It has to be put off. My friend, for us to have anger and malice and wrath in our hearts, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Of God. So how do we do it? How do I deal with it? How do I put off that old man? How do I guard against that? I think the best way is to give it to God. Trust God and obey His Word. Let's stand up. Little sin, I don't think so. In God's eyes, there's no such thing as little sin. And as a Christian, we're not to live consistently with sin in our lives. The Bible says for some, we need to mortify them. For others, we need to put them off. Because we are now new creation in Christ. Let's pray.
Father, how we need you today to work in our lives. And we're thankful, God, for your word that reveals sin to us. We're thankful, Lord, for good Christian men and women, friends, and ones who love us who will come and admonish us in the spirit of encouragement, Lord. We're thankful for the Spirit of God who convicts us. So, Father, whatever it takes, help us to put off these things in our life that we might be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.